All right, we are back. You know, one of the great things about Davis, which is where we base these broadcasts every week, is the fact that there is an, an airport, a university airport located quite close to the UC Davis campus. It's just a wonderful little facility. In fact, it's somewhat unique among the UC campuses in having such a, a close-at-hand uh, airport. I did not learn to fly there, but people do. And, uh, you know, if you're a student here or, or simply live in the region, I would, you know, suggest you might want to, you know, consider some lessons. About, uh, about 12 years ago, I went to the now-defunct Natomas Airport, learned to fly there, and I'm, I'm certainly glad I did. Pleased to report that I got up uh, in the sky several days ago, and my, it's, it's, just, it's just a wonderful thing to do. But after flying up to Grass Valley and over to Oroville, I did look up in the sky and noted an incredible profusion of jet contrails. The sky was filled with them. There were some clouds blowing in off the Pacific, but they were certainly accentuated by this crosshatch across the sky. We mentioned some time ago on this program that um, in the wake of the attacks of 9-11, uh, there was a rare opportunity to do some scientific research into the atmosphere in that... Uh, in the wake of all these planes being grounded, people studied how much that affected the temperature of the air, and it turned out it was pretty significant. It was a couple of degrees. As I recall, like three degrees Fahrenheit, uh, two degrees Celsius, which means that a lot of people are complaining about uh, the, the CO2 emissions of commercial aviation. This may be one of the few uh, global engineering methods that actually works to cool off the planet. In other words, all those contrails up there apparently are keeping us just a little bit cooler. So, you know, I guess if we're going to burn, burn carbon, you should burn it up in the stratosphere. We've been meaning to bring on some atmospheric scientists onto this program. We're going to do that, uh, you know, sometime this year. You know, I'm kind of relieved to hear that because there's really no way to fly a commercial jet without burning lots of fuel and producing lots of CO2. But in this case, you know, maybe, they, maybe that works out. Here's a hair-raising study from the University of California. Turns out that light cigarettes may actually be more dangerous than your grandpa's Marlboros. When scientists began documenting the carcinogenic effect of cigarette smoke in the 60s, tobacco companies then began producing filtered cigarettes with lower tar. But since that time, researchers have found a particular type of lung cancer, adenocarcinoma, has become far more prevalent. So happens that adenocarcinomas develop deep in the microscopic air sacs of lung tissue, and researchers believe that this once rather rare type of cancer is now more common because smokers have to inhale more strongly on filtered cigarettes to get their nicotine jolt. Thus, they are sucking the cancer-causing chemicals deeper into the lung tissue. So uh, this, you know, this is felt to be the most likely explanation for, uh, for this rise in adenocarcinoma. It's how they manufacture cigarettes. And I do know this. Studies have shown year in and year out that individuals, you know, like a certain amount of nicotine. And they're going to get it no matter which brand of cigarette they're smoking. In other words, a brand with less nicotine, well, they're going to smoke more. They're going to smoke more. They're going to smoke deeper. I don't really understand this. I'm not a smoker myself, and I'm not sure why you would smoke a filtered cigarette. I guess it's milder. Maybe it's, it's easier on the system. I, I actually don't know this. I know filters, when you look at them afterwards, they are full of tars and junk and things that can't be good to put into your lungs. But the question is, 
if you are having to suck more deeply and pull what smoke is getting through deeper into your lungs, do you really gain anything? I'm sure someone out there has a strong opinion on this, and we'd like to hear it. Drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. By the way, as a slight digression, they came up with a delivery system that gave uh, smokers their nicotine jolt a few years back, actually many years back, that was, you know, not through a cigarette. I mean, it looked like a cigarette. You held it like a cigarette. You'd suck, suck on the air, and it delivered a powder into your lung that, that gave you your nicotine. But it didn't have all the cancer-causing junk that goes along with the tobacco. How far did those, that product get? Well, not very far, because it turned out that tobacco has been grandfathered in as uh, something that's not regulated by the FDA, whereas this new product as a pharmaceutical agent was, which meant, among other things, it would be severely restricted for women who were pregnant. So in the end, the women went down to the local 7-Eleven and bought a pack of smokes instead. There's some pretty good thinking. But no, I mean, tobacco needs to be reclassified, you know, as the deadly drug and toxin that it is. I mean, come on. Anyway, as it, you know, nicotine itself, not such a great drug, but, uh, you know, it's not probably as bad for you as some of the other things that are in the tobacco. Oh, actually, we're talking about bacteria in the last uh, segment, and I just simply cannot resist this story from The Economist. I must confess to being fascinated by concrete. This idea that you you take this powder and add water and it makes rock still amazes me. But noted the magazine, concrete is one of the most commonly used building materials. It is cheap, strong, and easy to work with. But as a short walk through any city center will prove, it cracks easily. The cracking of concrete pavements is merely a nuisance, but cracks in roads, bridges, and buildings are a hazard. A way of making concrete that healed such cracks spontaneously would thus be very welcome. I guess so. But rather amazingly, a team in the Netherlands may have come up with one. Now, the way to stop concrete cracking currently is to bung up small cracks before they enlarge. That process of enlargement is caused by water getting into the crack and then freezing in cold weather and expanding, or here in California. I think various uneven expansions are probably more to blame, but at any rate, as we all know, concrete is certainly prone to cracking. But uh, at at Delft University, apparently a a Dr. Hank Jonkers... uh, knew that spraying mineral-producing bacteria into limestone monuments is often a way to stop that freeze-thaw in its tracks. The mineral in question is calcium carbonate, which is the defining ingredient of limestone. Uh, Dr. Jonkers knew that when applied to concrete, this technique had proved to be just as time-consuming and indeed more expensive than traditional repair methods using sticky water-repelling agents. Then he began to wonder, what if he incorporated the helpful bacteria into the concrete from the start? So he and his team selected various mineral-producing bacterial strains that can handle the highly alkaline environment that's found in liquid concrete, then added those bacteria along with calcium lactate, an organic compound that such bacteria then can convert to calcium carbonate, and allowed those samples to set. As they reported in Ecological Engineering... Mineral, grain, mineral grains would form in the cracks. The concrete that had been seeded with bacteria produced a sample grains that were as large as 80 microns across. So apparently this idea that you might have self-healing concrete, well, it, it, it might happen one day. 
Currently, the bacteria in these, uh, these prototype cultures survive for only a few weeks. And beyond that period, of course, that concrete cannot heal itself. But the next wave of research is trying immobilizing the bacteria in particles of clay before added uh, to the mix, and that allows them to live for months and possibly years. The, the clay also serves as a reservoir and food source for the bacteria. So how would that be some years in the future? Concrete that gets a crack in it or starts to and then simply heals itself before the crack fully develops. Amazing. All right, in the three or four minutes that we have left to us, dear listener, we should probably talk a bit about uh, Star Trek, the latest film. I was astonished to learn in research that there have been about there have been 726 episodes of Star Trek's various TV incarnations, along with 10 feature-length movies that have grossed 1.2 billion dollars. This new effort is getting good reviews, and we would like to add our two cents to this uh, this affair. This movie sets out to tell you uh, how uh, how Kirk and uh, Spock and the rest of the Starship Enterprise crew got uh, got going, and uh, presents younger versions of all these actors, which is which is probably a good idea, being that William Shatner is about eighty these days. Actually, he's seventy-five, and I'm especially tickled to be able to report with a straight face that the first person who told me this movie was pretty good was none other than Chekhov himself, Walter Koenig. And we have to agree with Walter. It, it's good. I wouldn't expect too much of this film. It certainly takes incredible liberties with science, like, for example, at one point, passing through a black hole. Because I got news for you. Black holes are one-way trips in, at least in one piece. But uh, I saw it with a genuine bona fide uh, Trekkie or Trekker, would take your pick, and, uh, and she also agreed it's, you know, it's pretty good. What I do love about the whole Star Trek franchise is that uh, so much of what was science fiction and fantasy 40 years ago is now just plain old reality. Martin Cooper, the Motorola engineer who's considered the father of the flip phone, said that the original series, Flip Top Communications, planted the germ of his idea. And long before Mac users were slipping 3.5-inch diskettes into their machines, the USS Enterprise crew relied upon similarly-sized parcels to store electronic data. And apparently the earpiece worn by Lieutenant Uhura to monitor deep space communications is mirrored in today's Bluetooth wireless headsets, which consciously imitated uh, the old gear from Star Trek. And, And in fact, you don't really have to be that old to remember doors in, say, supermarkets that didn't open automatically? I don't know, that stuff was pretty obvious back in 1966 on Star Trek. I don't want to give you the impression that, you know, this, this new movie is, you know, Citizen Kane Part 2. It's, it's, it's pretty cheesy, but, you know, that, that's part of its charm. And it seemed to have borrowed something from just about every successful sci-fi venue from Buck Rogers uh, through, uh, through, through Star Wars with uh, no small amount of Back to the Future thrown in for good measure. This movie's especially good for guys like me who, as a kid, were fans of the original series and and really never really paid a lot of attention to what came after the uh, Kirk Spock version. So I hope that some of you uh, will join us in taking it in, and uh, and then when you do that, give us some feedback. We, again, would love to hear from you because, uh, you know, you're why we're here. Our email again is info at radioparallax.com. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. 
We uh, were not able to reach Paul Dorn, but we'll bring him on next week's program to talk about what he thinks about uh, French prisoners peddling around the countryside over in Europe. And also about his new book on how one uh, can commute to work and just about everywhere on a bicycle if you take the time to do so. And, and that's, you know, a lot of you should. A lot of us should. I'm making plans to do exactly that over the summer. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We hope on next week's program to bring you William Wellman Jr. to talk about his dad, William William, his dad, William Wellman Sr., and the epic uh, movie Wings, winner of the first and only silent Oscar for Best Picture. We'll see you then. Stay tuned for Ryan. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. (laughs) 